0: it's the word of the lord if you would let's pray lord thank you um, that you did not come to be served but to serve Uh, i pray that this morning we would see who you are and that you are servicing us serving our hearts and giving us all that we need and i pray that we would rest in that please be with Matt as he preaches um, and I pray that our hearts would be open to your, to your word and the moving of your spirit. We thank you for him. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Well, good morning. good morning. Okay, all right. I'd pay good money for an audio Bible read by Jeremy Lemieux. Thank you, Jeremy. Well, we are finishing our sermon series that we've entitled... Abide. This sermon series is all about how we as a church um, are going to agree to define and pursue discipling. What is a disciple and what does it mean to make disciples? Uh, And we've taken that word abide, which means to stay, right? To dwell with, to to dwell closely with, uh, not to depart from, but to make your life there in what you're abiding with. Uh, and, and that word means to stay and we've used it as not only a synonym but also as an acronym. S-T-A-Y-S. And a, a disciple of Jesus stays with Jesus. That's, our, that's how I'm going to do uh, what I don't normally do which is make things compact and precise and concise. I normally oh, carpet bomb. Okay? So our, our definition of what a disciple is, is a disciple of Jesus is someone who stays with Jesus. But I'm also cheating because in that word stays, there's five weeks of sermons, okay? So there's that. Uh, let me take you through what we've seen from this, from this acrostic in this word stays. S, the first one, is a disciple of Jesus surrenders to Jesus. T, a disciple of Jesus is transformed by Jesus. A, a disciple of Jesus abides with, lives their daily life in the presence of Jesus. The letter Y a disciple of Jesus yields to the Spirit of Jesus. And today, the final S means that a disciple of Jesus serves in community. And we've been taking all of our cues here from the, the book of John, the Gospel of John, chapters 13 through 15, 16, 17, which is Jesus's final farewell address to his disciples. It's its final evening on earth uh, with his disciples. This will be the night that he's arrested, and the next day he will be. Uh, viciously, violently, torturously, murderously, sinfully executed. And so th- these are the things he's sharing with his disciples. Now, um, before I get into like the text, I want to say like a disciple of Jesus serves in community. So I'm, I'm just going to put this forward up at the front end and offload it so that as you're listening and as the Lord transforms you, renews your mind, changes you, breaks out a personal revival in your own heart and mind, now uh, you'll already have already bing, 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 yellow lights all around what he wants to draw your attention to as what he's probably calling you to in the future if you're a disciple who serves in community. We have a need in this church. We have many needs, but one of those needs is we need people to serve the church on Sunday mornings as part of a host team. We need a host team leader. I believe last week while I was out, thankfully, we have good leaders, uh, uh, Stuart McGinnis and and Christian Wall, they were able to lead our not only Sunday morning service but our membership meeting. And I, I believe they addressed the fact that we have a need for, we need a leader to lead and coordinate that host team. And we need people who are willing to come on Sunday mornings early to be able to set up coffee, make sure things are clean and organized, and as well to open doors for people and greet them, make sure that they have communication cards, stuff like that they're taken care of. Um, and so we have a need for that. Uh, you can serve, right? We, we can have a host team now. Stuart McGinnis has uh, just kind of added that to one of his many hats to, for the time being, just kind of loosely organize and manage that. But we are looking for someone who wants to lead that as well. So. There's that. Uh, We always have need. We always have need for Christians to invest in and care for the lives and the souls of our children. So RCC kids on Sunday mornings, our kids need someone not simply and merely to babysit them, but to gospel them, to pray over them. To, to teach them, to read the Bible with them, to help them with their arts and crafts that will teach them some sort of gospel lesson. We need they, they need someone to invest in their lives. They need to see that the men and women of their church alongside of their mom and dad love them and care for them and that they belong to the same church that we hope someday they'll grow up into as adult members themselves, all right? So if you want to end up serving on that team, you can come see me at the end of service and I will get you coordinated. I'll, I'll help you, all right? Uh, in the coming week, next few weeks, uh, we're going to begin the next build-out phase for our stage. So this curtain is going to go away, and we're going to build a partition wall that'll serve not only for as a backdrop for us as a church on Sunday mornings, but also for the school, for when they have uh, theater and, and dramas and plays and stuff like that. So uh, in a way, we as a church are serving ourselves uh, with this construction, uh, and also the, the school that's uh, housing us. Um, if you want to be able to help with that construction, it, you, uh, you you don't have to be a contractor. Okay, you, you only have to be as good as me, and I hammer like lightning. Okay, I never strike the same place twice. Okay, so if you're as good as me, you can help. All right. Um, and then uh, coming in the in the middle of April, actually, uh, there's a deaf and hard of hearing ministry here in the county who was looking, who's been looking for a place to assemble some care packages for. Like people in our community. And so we've invited them to come and use this space on April 15th to assemble those care packages. That's an opportunity for you to come as RCC members alongside the deaf and hard of hearing who are already in our community serving our area. So April 15th. And if you want more information, you can speak to Ms. Yvonne Gast. Uh, if you don't know who that is, you come find me and I'll put your hand in her hand, okay? So. I'm sorry. Yeah, you don't have to know sign language, all right? And you don't have to be deaf or hard of hearing or selectively hard of hearing like me sometimes, all right? So let me pray for us that the Lord will awaken what he wants to in our minds and hearts today. Father, I pray in the name of your son, Jesus, that you would renew our minds, that you would transform us today, that you would reveal to us your son, his power his worthiness, his value, his glory, his honor, and his dignity. I pray that you would reveal that to us through how he has served us, that the supreme creator and ruler of the universe, the king, has lowered himself below us, his sinful enemies, and in serving us has saved us and made made us his friends, indeed his family. I pray, Lord, that you would do some of your favorite work today in in a demonstrable way in our church by awakening and calling, impelling, compelling us as we see your son Jesus and the glory that he is in, that you would make us like him, that you would sanctify us, that we would think and feel and act and speak like him as we serve those around us. We love you, Lord. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. In verse 15 of John chapter 13, Jesus says this. He says, I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. What exactly did Jesus just do? Jesus loved them and he served them, his disciples. Now, now, the context for what we heard in John chapter 13 that Jeremy just read, the context for that is actually set up not in the Gospel of John, but actually in the other, what's called the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And it's, it's an actual uh, conversation that disciples are having on their way to dinner and the conversation is really uh, just kind of wacky, bonkers one. They're, the conversation is a, ro- a robust dialogue, shall we say, between the disciples. And they're kind of arguing, debating over who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom. All right? Which one of us is going to be the greatest in Jesus' kingdom? And now they're having this conversation as they are walking along with the greatest in the kingdom. All right. So if you want to know who the greatest in the kingdom is, you probably just want to take your cues from and just go directly to the source and ask the guy who water skis without skis and was born of a virgin and comes back from the dead. You should you should ask him, okay? Who's the greatest in the kingdom? Now, if you read that those passages carefully, Jesus doesn't actually outright rebuke them for being so foolish and so prideful and arrogant and self-centered to go to be concerned with being great in the kingdom. He doesn't outright rebuke them. Instead, he lovingly and kindly redirects them. When you read those passages, essentially I'm going to paraphrase, but Jesus says, oh, oh yeah, oh, you want to be great. Terrific. I love this conversation. I'll tell you how to be great since, you know, no one's greater than me. I'll tell you how to be great. I know something about it. If you want to be first, you have to be last, Ricky Bobby. All right? If you want to be first, you got to be last. That's how you become great. If you want to become, be set up high, you have to go down low. And so I want to take that As Jesus is orienting them toward this dinner to John chapter 13. And we're going to look at verses 1 through 5. And as you read that, here's here's the idea that I want you to take away from, from this first passage, this first part. Is that Jesus takes up the towel. Jesus takes up the towel. Before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own. Who were in the world, he loved them to the end. So during supper, when the devil had already put it in the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going back to God, he rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments, and taking a towel, he tied it around his waist. He poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet, and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Now, this act was reserved for only non-Jewish servants, specifically uh, lower-end non-Jewish Jewish servants, if not outright slaves. Jesus is sovereign king of the universe. He spoke the universe into existence. He said, hmm, exist, and it was there. He has been governing the spinning, not merely of atoms and uh, other, other particles, but he's been controlling the spinning of galaxies, and he's been controlling the pathways of galaxy clusters throughout our entire universe since it was made. And he, the sovereign king and creator of the universe, he now has taken the place of a servant. He has all things in his hands. Recognizing that the Father had put all things into his hands, he now of all things he could pick up, he picks up this towel, a wash rag, a, an instrument, literally an instrument for a slave. I want, to, I want to point out three things about this moment. That it's First of all, the towel, the outer garment that Jesus is, is wearing and takes off, and then something I'm just going to call this interruption. First of all, the towel. Again, this towel represents servanthood. It's humility. It, it's, it represents care and love. This towel isn't just like a wash rag that you would, you know, hang on like in front of your oven, right? It's, it's more like a garment slash like towel. It's hard to explain. Uh, like my mom recently got a gift. And I, I don't, I think it might've been given by someone in the church. Who, someone who makes this, these special towels that you hang around your neck. So you're wearing your towel, but then you're at the sink and now you can w- wipe your hands off, right? It's, it's really pretty. It's like something I would never wear, but it's something like a mom would wear and use, right? This this is a special towel that's almost wrapped around the servants so that they would wipe off and clean things and people with their clothing, okay? Which means as stuff and people are getting cleaned, their own appearance is getting dirtier. Our flesh and our culture tells us to monogram our towels, that we have towels that are for uh, dirty uses, gross uses, all right? And then we have towels that are, are pretty, they're nice, they're supposed to be monogrammed, right? And any of you, when you were little kids, like, or maybe teenagers, or me like an, as an adult, who, dang, there's not a clean towel, and so you just, in the bathroom, just like wash your hands and you wipe your hands on the monogrammed towel, and somehow your wife or your mom knows like, like there's like a, like a hydrometer sensor nearby and it senses that the towel got damp and warns them. And they come and you get in trouble for using the pretty towel, the monogrammed towel. We put them on racks that are not to be used. They're only to be looked at. And so I just want to point out, like, we, we do that with categories and areas of our lives. We have some areas of our lives where we go, yeah, sure, I'll, I'll use that. That's for service. That's for forgiving and, and helping other people. But then I got areas of my life that that's my monogram towel. I, I'm not gonna let that get dirty. I'm not gonna use I I can't use it. It's too nice. We do that with our money. We do that with our time. We do that with our care. And when I say our care, I mean our head and our heart bandwidth, right? That, that's, what, that's what I normally refer to as the three Ds, your days, your dollars, and your devotion. And, and some of us are going to really, just gonna, my towel is dirty, and I'm using it all the time, and I have no problem with using my money, all right? And other people are go, eh, that's kind of my nice towel. And other people are going to go, man, I'll give my time. Other people are like, eh, Saturday's my day out. Sunday's my day to rest, right? Wednesdays are pretty busy, all right? And other people are really good at caring, they'll give their heart. They'll, they'll cut a vein open and bleed. And other people, man, uh, the best I can do in care is to just go, yeah, I'll pray for you. Not really, but you know, I know, I know, I know I need to say that, right? But Jesus, who is God, he picks up the towel, he wears it, and he cleans us. There's nothing monogrammed about the most precious and perfect person in the universe, right? Serving others, means picking up the towel, specifically the one towel that we want to keep nice. doesn't mean you can't have nice things. Don't take my analogy too far. I'm just saying serving others means picking up a towel, picking up the towel. Specifically, often, it's the towel that God is calling you to pick up that you don't really want to use, that you don't really want to get dirty. You don't really want to give to others. And then... I want to look at this outer garment because Jesus is wearing kind of this towel that he's wrapped around himself. He's, he's not only taken up the towel, but he also has taken off his outer garment. He's taken off his, his not all his clothes, right? But he's taken off his outer garment, which, by the way, would be uh, in public a very kind of scandalous kind of lewd thing to do, especially for an important rabbi like Jesus. But he takes off his outer garment. He's, he's showing vulnerability. He's being serious. This is a big deal. He's lowering himself. In in the book of Philippians, Paul, the apostle Paul, a a later disciple of Jesus, writes to the the church in Philippi. He he tells them in chapter 2 of his letter, verses 3 and 4, he says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Look, let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Jesus takes off his outer, nicer, comfortable, good-looking covering. And he says, listen, I'm, I'm setting an example for you. You are to do what I'm doing for one another. And so we, if we're disciples of Jesus', we take off our outer, nicer, comfortable, good-looking covering. That means making yourself vulnerable. Living a life with vulnerability. Now, listen, not to everybody. right? That would be foolish. okay? But to... Definitely pursue and find and commit to relationships with other Christians who you can trust and they can trust you to be vulnerable. And that's a lot different than transparent. Some of us are really good at being transparent, telling the truth about yourself, admitting and confessing some things. But here's the difference between transparency and vulnerability. Transparency is I've got a bulletproof glass wall between me and you. And I'll, yeah, sure, I'll get naked. I'll, I'll, I'll show you what's wrong with me. But I'm not going to let you get close. You can't say anything to me. You can't, I'm not going to let you get at me. You can't tell me anything. Don't try to persuade me of anything, right? Don't try to lay hands on me. The only only way I'm going to do this is if you stay over there. Vulnerability is where you slide that bulletproof glass wall away. And now not only is your clothes off, but you take your sword and your shield and you put them at the feet of the other person. And now they have everything they would ever need to really hurt you. And you trust them. That they will only do good for you with what you've revealed. That's vulnerability. Removing that outer garment. Jesus here calls us to lower our standing. No longer worrying about looking good. Looking important. Seeming cool. And listen, everyone's going to have a different de- definition and description of what cool is, okay? So some of us who are from, let's say, previous generations, earlier generations, right, your idea of cool for you is different than mine, and some of you are younger than me, cool for you is going to look drastically different than my cool. But to, to look sophisticated, to have the outward appearance and reputation and, and character that you really want to put forward to people, to, Jesus says, take that off. Don't lose the worry about whether you look cool or intelligent or sophisticated or creative, or interesting, or smart, lose that need. Take that off. It means seeing your time, your money, and your care, your days, your dollars, and devotion, not as, it doesn't mean seeing what you have and who you are as less important than they are, but instead as seeing those things as terribly important for other people. Because God has given you these things, your days, your dollars, and devotion, He's given them for the purpose of giving to others. It means your concern is about being ready to serve and help. You'll be able to do anything that's needed because nothing's now holding you back. You're not inhibited by your your outer garment, your cloak, your nice clothes. Your devotion and your value is now in other people's needs rather than your own wants or your own preferences. I could help. I could serve that in that way. I could do, but you know, I don't like the way they do that. Or it's not a time that's convenient for me. Or, you know, they didn't, they, didn't, they didn't ask me in the right way, or they didn't put me in the position that I want to. I don't feel like I'm all that well used there, so, mm, right? No, your, your devotion, your value is now toward and focused on other people's needs and not on your own preferences. Serving others means making yourself vulnerable and available. And then third, in, in, this, in this evening at this supper, there's what I'm just going to call this interruption, all right? This interruption. Listen, this is, I, I, want, I want to characterize this evening, all right? The, the disciples were comfortable. The, they were on schedule. They'd been told to arrange a room and get a donkey and, and make sure food was there. It all was arranged They were merry, they were satisfied, they were enjoying each other's company, and then there's this interruption. It would have been almost in some ways chaotic. Why? Because this isn't just any dinner, this is the Passover meal. This is the most significant and important festival and evening of the Jewish year. They were with the most important and the most provocative and most significant rabbi that anyone had ever heard of, and they were his disciples at his Passover meal. This was... An important, sacred, special dinner evening, and then Jesus does this inexplicably weird, awkward thing. Why are you gotta make things awkward, Jesus? You ever worried about trying to obey the Lord, trying to yield to the Holy Spirit? But if you if you obey what God tells you, you're afraid that you're gonna be the one weirdo who makes things awkward. Jesus wasn't concerned with that one. All right, be like Jesus. Don't oh, you, you made it awkward, right? You ruined the vibe. But you want to talk about like spiritual stuff. Yeah, I want to talk about spiritual stuff. I don't want to ruin the vibe. I want to raise the vibe, right? Why don't we make some real use of this great fellowship we're having, right? Jesus does this crazy thing. They were supposed to sit down, crack open the wine. They were supposed to discuss the ministry they'd seen Jesus do that that week, right? Maybe they were going to hear Jesus talk more about what he had planned for the upcoming year of ministry, But he removes his cloak, he takes up the towel, he gets on his hands and feet before them, and he performs an act of the lowliest of lowly servants. I want you to notice something. They've already eaten, they've already been doing the thing. And now Jesus washes their feet. Their feet weren't clean when they came in. That's something that was supposed to happen. When you come in for the meal. Culturally, that was supposed to happen. But it clearly hadn't. Maybe, listen, maybe they didn't expect it since they were along with Jesus. They, they were all poorly, uh, fairly poor, itinerant uh, students of Jesus. And he was an itinerant, poor, impoverished rabbi. Uh, maybe it's because Jesus didn't actually hire a servant. Because he was already planning to do this himself. Which he was clearly planning to do this. But... Either way, regardless of the reason, Jesus knew what he had planned on the evening and he knew that what he had planned couldn't move forward until he had done this, until he had served them this way. Everything that follows in John 13, 14, 15, 16, everything that follows, the entire Last Supper and all that he had done and would do is actually seated and founded on this particular act. Everything is built on this moment. Jesus says in Mark chapter 10, 45, he says, even the son of man. And when he says even, he goes, even me, God. He says, I have not come to be served, but to serve, to give my life as a ransom for many. For Jesus, this moment isn't an interruption. This is not awkward. This is going according to plan. This is right. This is perfect. This is proper. It wasn't an interruption, but it was the main point of all he had to say to them on this final evening with them. So sometimes we let lesser things in life take the place of greater things. Sometimes we say yes to lesser things and say no or put off and delay greater things. Jesus commands us to take up the greater things by taking up the towel, taking off the outer garments, and taking advantage of the opportunity. Serving others means embracing interruptions. Interruptions. Embracing interruptions, seeing them as the point of gospel life, rather than an, an impediment to your gospel life. Serving others means embracing interruptions in your life, in your schedule, in your plans, in your, in your mind of what you had envisioned for how this day's supposed to go, how this week's supposed to go, how the budget's supposed to work out, how your time is supposed to be, right? Embracing those interruptions and recognizing that this is no longer an interruption, but the plan I had may have actually been a good plan, but the Lord has now gone, hey, now say yes to the better thing. I'm revealing my plan in this moment and taking you a different direction. Rather than an interruption to your gospel life, it, it's, it's not an impediment. It, it's, it's the point of your gospel life. It's the opportunity. So what is it that your life revolves around? What are the immovable objects, immovable things in your life? You, you build your fences around them, right? You build, you, you build your convenience fences, your communication fences. You even, you, have an, you even have an attitude fence around you. The people closest to you know what they really better not even bring up, what they, what they better not ask of you, because that hasn't probably gone so well in the past. So sometimes all it takes is the side eye, all it takes is the look, all it takes is the sigh. Hey, could you oh, I'm sorry. No, what? What, no, what, what? No, it'll make me mad. No, no, I'm not, I'm not mad. Go ahead and ask. What? Fine. Right? And even if you do end up serving and doing it, it's not even service and love, right? It's just obligation, and now you're telling that person you intruded, I'm not letting you back in this yard again. Don't come back. Right? What Is it that your life revolves around? What are the things? What are the times? What are the activities of your week? What are the activities of your life rhythms that when they're interrupted by others, when other people show up on the phone and text, they show up on the phone caller ID, you get the email, they tap you on the shoulder, you see them come walking toward you, apparently with purpose, before or after church, and you're like, they're gonna ask me something, they're gonna ask me to do something. And immediately, oh, that's not, this is not the plan. This is not what I want to do. This is not the week. What, what are those times and places and things that, when they're interrupted by the needs of others, you're really bugged? And you're most tempted to ignore the text and to pretend like you're busy and you're, you're going to try to avoid. Second point of this sermon today, for point one was that Jesus takes up the towel. Point two would be that Jesus calls us, he Commands us to also take up the towel. Jesus commands us to take up the towel. He says in John 13, verse 12 through 15. After the part that, after the, this passage 1 through 11 that Jeremy read for us, here's what happens next. Verse 12. When he had washed their feet, and he'd put on his outer garments and resumed his place. Look, he doesn't stay dirty. He doesn't stay lowly. He goes down and then he puts his outer garment back on. He resumes his position. This is, I'd say, just a small, tiny foreshadowing of him going down the next day and then rising in glory again, right? We don't have merely a humble, marginalized, Galilean, peasant, carpenter, rabbi who only dies for our sins, but he's also in glory, in supremacy over the universe as his rightful place, and no one will keep him from it. He puts his arm garments on and he resumes his place and he, and he says to them, do you understand what I've done to you? You call me teacher and Lord. And you're right. So I am. So if then, if I am then your Lord and teacher and I have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. Ought to is not a suggestion. Ought to is a command. You are to wash one another's feet. Right, now, now, gold star searching, always looking for the bonus extra credit, Peter, right? He's probably like, okay, not now. I'm just, it's a teaching, right? Okay, sorry, not, not right now, right now? no, Okay, all right. Jesus' commands are not suggestions. God's word is not an asset merely for you to have a better life. God's word is not an asset. It's authority. If it's going to be an asset to you, if it's going to be of benefit to you, it will not be so if it is not ultimately authority over you. Otherwise, it won't help. He's a king and not a coach. He's a king and not a consultant. He's your sovereign Lord, not just your saving Lord. And so Jesus, you served me with a towel. Now it's my turn to serve you by serving your people. And it's not a. It's not an obscure command. If you're a Christian, if you're a Christian, this is not an obscure command. It's what you've experienced when you found out and realized in saving faith that he really has served you. In fact, obedience to this command isn't what makes you a disciple. But it becomes the evidence that Jesus truly has served you and transformed you into his disciple. Someone who thinks and feels and speaks and acts like him. It becomes evidence, it becomes verification that you are a disciple. Want to know if you're a disciple? Look for that evidence. I'm, am I obeying the commands? This is what I went over two weeks ago with knowing God's will and what it means to be a disciple. Do you love him? Okay, obey him. Obey him. Don't obey him to get him to love you. Obey him because he already loves you and you love him. Point number three, without community, there's no towel to pick up. Point number three, without community, there's no towel to pick up. There's no one or nothing around for you to actually do anything with. Without community, there's no towel to pick up. A disciple of Jesus serves in community. Look at John John 13, verses 34 and 35. So he says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you, You also are to love one another. Why is that a new commandment? I thought he had already said the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And the second greatest commandment was to love your neighbor. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you, right? Well, this is a new commandment. Aren't they the same? No. Because here, what makes it new is just as I have loved you, you are to now love one another. I'm upping the whole golden rule thing. Don't just love other people the way you want to be loved. Love them the way I have loved you. Because here's what I know about me and my marriage, and I don't know about you. But I have a tendency to highlight and focus on the ways that I like to serve my wife and the ways that she actually needs and wants me to serve her. That gets put on the back burner a lot of times. And so when, when she wants or needs something here and I can address that, great, I'm an awesome husband, right? Blow the shofar, get a throne, carry it around, kids, like, get the poles, like, carry me around the house, parade. We got a great dad, what a great husband, right? But when my wife wants this, now I'm busy, now I'm exhausted, now I don't feel good. Or instead of doing that, I'll, I'll, I'll be tempted to simply go back to something I want to do for her rather than serving her in the way that she needs See, I'll I'll twist the. I don't know about you, but I'll I'll do that for my wife. I'll do that with my kids. I'll do that with our church. I need Jesus. I really need Jesus. If I know anything, I I I bet that we are all in that same tribe with our wives, with our husbands, with our kids, with our friends, with our church. That we'll twist the golden rule. Oh, I'll love other people as I want to be loved but I won't love them the way they, I'm gonna have a harder time loving and serving them the way they, they need, because that's not really my love language of showing and expressing love. And Jesus goes, hey, love them the way I loved you. Well, what's that mean? I did a bunch of junk that I didn't want to do for you. I didn't owe you anything. You had done nothing for me before I did it for you. And I love you, so I did everything. I did all the worst stuff. To love you and serve you, so that's how you love people. That's if you're gonna love them, love this is the new command: love them the way I love, which is take a monogram towel and get it dirty, take off your outer garment, lower yourself, humble yourself, submit to the Lord's plan, embrace His interruption in your plan and your vision and your desires and your preferences, because that's that's what he's done for us that's what he's done for you by this verse 35 by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another how will anyone know if we really are disciples how will anyone outside of the church know that you're actually really a christian well i got a gold's gym t-shirt with big muscle jesus on the cross and he's biceps and triceps are straining he's broken the broken a cross right i got lord's gym i got my christian t-shirt I only listen to Christian music. I am a little fish bumper sticker, R.C.C. magnet on the back of my car, right? I make sure that my desk at work has some sort of like Bible verse, like sticky note, day by day calendar thing. How do? How will the world? How will anyone actually know? Not just that you say you're a Christian, but you actually are one. Jesus says they'll know you're my disciples if you if you have my kind of love for you for one another. Now, here, here's something interesting. You can't serve God. Did you know you can't serve God? There's, there's multiple scriptures that say this. But I'll just point out to Acts chapter 17, 24 and 25, the apostle Paul says, the God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, he doesn't live in temples made by men nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. You don't do anything for me. Anything that you can do for me, I can already do, and I'm going to do it better. Right, Lord, I just, I'm going to give my heart to you finally. He goes, bro, I, I own your life. I'm supreme king over the destiny of the universe yes give your heart to me you must but don't act like you're doing me a favor like you're putting me in your debt Psalm 50 verse 12 he says if I were hungry I wouldn't tell you for the world and its fullness are mine if I'm not hungry I'm never hungry but if I were hungry I wouldn't tell you I'll create an apple tree right here by the power of my own word and eat that Right? I'll just, David Copperfield an apple, a steak, into my hand, already cooked. Right? And it, I'm not going to come to you. You don't, we don't serve God. Well here's, I'll say it differently. We don't serve God directly. But we do serve Him. Because we are told to serve God. I'm not going to list a bunch of scriptures there, but there are. So, We have a God that no man can serve, no woman can serve. We have nothing to bring to him or give to him or do for him. that he can't already do better perfectly or give himself, right? So no man can serve God and we human beings are to serve God. How does that work then? We don't serve God directly. We serve God by directly serving others. That's how we serve God. That's how we serve him. There's nothing you can do for him that he can't do for himself but better? Nothing that you can't that you can give him that he doesn't already own. We serve him by serving those he loves. You know, you know what I like and, and really touches my heart way more than when my own kids want to buy me a present or do something nice for me? Do you know what really gets to me? The best way? And listen, my kids buy me a present and want to do something nice for me. Oh, I love that. Oh. Right? The, two of them now actually have enough money that, that they've earned themselves that no longer are they buying presents for me with my money, which I also loved and appreciated. Right? Do you know what gets me way, better, way more than my kids wanting to do something for dad and serve me and give me something? It's when they want to do those things for their mom when i see them respecting and loving and obeying their mother when i when i see them on their minds at the store and we go and they and one of them go oh mom likes that can we get some of those things for mom don't forget the gluten free stuff for mom when at home they not only obey their mother and, like, you know, clean their rooms or wash the dishes, or right? But then they, they do other things. They weren't even told, but they know it serves their mother. That really gets me. You know what really gets me is when I see my children serving one another. When I see this is morning my middle child holding my son and they are rocking back and forth in worship and singing and loving one another when I walk down into our basement family room to hear my children with Martin reading books, when I see my oldest daughter, Valencia, teaching him how to play a video game that she plays and he thinks she's cool and so she, he wants to do this stuff and she's, she's teaching him. And they give to one another, oh, now I feel served. Now I feel really loved. Because they're loving those I love, and that's that's the same for our church. So, from time to time, from time to time, I'll, I'll be asked by someone in the church, "Hey, uh, what can I do for you, Pastor Matt? How can I serve you?" Right, which is a very kind question. And sometimes I, I I I do have an answer ready. I don't want to be one of those. Oh no, I serve you. You don't serve me. Like I need Jesus. I need help. I need Jesus people. Right, so. Right. Sometimes I have not you know, please pray for me this way, please, would you please go do this thing, right? Would you come over and help me with this, um, you know, lend a hand here, right? Uh, and I normally stay away from things like, will you mow my lawn for me or wash my car? Because that's how you end up a cult, all right? So just don't. But the vast majority of the time, do you know what makes me feel loved and secure and happy and confident as a pastor? You want to, if anyone wants to serve me if anyone cares about that at all I'm not saying you should outside of what Jesus says right but if you care love one another serve one another don't even come to me don't even ask me about it don't ask permission I want to find out on Facebook I want to find out from someone else how you are outside of my own vision outside of my own instruction, you're, as disciples of Jesus, living out what I'm just trying to pour my life out to disciple you in. Loving Jesus and loving one another way, he loves you. You want to love me? Man, love those I, I love. Especially in ways that I'm not good at. There are, you know, there are doors that are close to me, hearts and that I just don't know how to access in some ways minds that I just it's not my place it's not my time but because we're the body of Christ like you have access to some people here that I don't have access to right and you don't need my authority as a pastor you need the authority of the Holy Spirit in you as he tells you to obey and serve. here's one major caveat I want I want to say before I head into the, the last section of this sermon. Um, here's one major caveat right? You're called to be like Jesus, but you're not called to be him. You're called to be like him. Only Jesus can serve everyone and everything all the time. Only Jesus has what it takes to do and give and provide everything. You're just supposed to be like him. right? You're an image bearer. You're a mirror. You're not the person. That means you need to ask yourself, do I get up from the table at all? Do I ever pick up the towel? Do I ever embrace the interruption? Do I ever in invite the interruption? It's the question you you need to stay away from this. Do I you need to ask yourself, do I never sit down at the table because I'm only working for the people at the table? And you're burdened by a guilty conscience and shamed conscience, you can't solve everyone and meet everyone's problems and needs? That when someone asks you don't have what it takes to give and you've somehow disobeyed? If you have it to give, give. If you do not have it to give, then you don't, you, do, you pray. Right? In, in, the, in the book of Acts, John and Peter are walking up the, the steps of the temple and they meet a poor dude who's crippled and he's asking for alms, right? Peter and Peter and John, they're poor, Right? Right? They're, they're so poor, they eat salt soup. Okay? They're so poor, they can't even pay attention hardly. No, no one? Nothing. Thank, thank you. Just a chuckle. Well, cool. You know what? They, they still serve. They said, gold and silver, we don't have. But in the name of the Lord Jesus, this is what we'll give you. We'll pray for your healing. Be forgiven of your sins and rise. Lord grants that. Some of us will feel like it's a cheap cop-out. That when you don't have the money to give... Or you're out of town on business and you can't be there in town for someone who called you. You feel like it, you're tempted to think it's a cheap cop out and that you feel bad and guilty that what you have to offer is prayer. Can I disabuse you of that? That's satanic shame. You pray for them on the phone. You pray for them in text. You Don't just say that you pray for them. Pray with them. And that is not cheap. That's it's actually, it carries more power and weight than all of the dollar bills or gold bullion that Elon Musk could summon at his disposal to solve problems. Is our direct access to the king of the universe and he bends his ear when we call on him. Don't cheapen what God does let you give and serve with. Jesus knows this. He knows when we ought to serve and do, and he knows when it's time to move and rest. Listen, Jesus himself rests. Jesus take na- takes naps. There are moments in the Gospels where Jesus is preaching and teaching, and he's healing, and then he's walking out of town, and people stop, and they go, uh, there's more sick people, they go, he, and he says, but, yeah, I know, I'm done here, I'm going to the next town. But you didn't heal everybody. I know, I'm omniscient, I know everything. I've healed everyone here. I'm healing. All right, not everyone here is going to be healed, but everyone here was supposed to hear my word. That's verified by the miraculous work of my healing in a few. But now I got to go to the next town, and in between there, then and there, I'm going to take a rest. I'm going to take a nap. And we got a sandwich. Come on, serve your rabbi. And we got a sandwich, right? Listen, this sermon, by the way, isn't. I'm not preaching it to coax you into community groups. Uh, my aim is to shepherd you into community, whatever that looks like for you. But I, I really do want to help you get into real gospel community if you're not. And your church has leaders and people and organization and structure to support helping you be part of a group of people, community. Real community. Listen, real community that's not simply built for friendship, but for the purpose of mission. So you are like, well, that doesn't sound very warm. That doesn't sound like what I want. I can tell you after about 13, 14 years of doing pastoral ministry, if you get into anything within a church, fellowship, Bible study, worship service, community group, anything, if you get into anything for the supreme purpose and goal of friendship, you're probably not going to get it. I'm going to tell you that from my own experience and from the sad defeat that most people have experienced when they come to a church looking supremely for friendship. Most of the time, you don't get it. Do you know what I have experienced inside and outside of the church? Is this, if you aim for mission, you are almost guaranteed to get friendship. Some of you have been in the military. Some, some of you have family members or friends who've been in the military, especially those who've seen combat. And and, and these, these veterans, they, they end up having these annual or biannual or every 10 years or 20 years or whatever, reunions. So those of you who know people intimately who have combat experience you know that they have these these men these soldiers these marines right these sailors they they have relationships with men that they went on missions with that not even their wife could ever hope to get inside of because there was something built and bought and created while they were on mission fighting alongside one another sacrificing for one another helping one another, dragging each other out, holding each other, when one dude has lost his mind and he's in the foxhole crying, blubbering, a six-foot-three soldier, a killer, and he's crying for his mom, and the other one has just enough sense to hold him and say, it's okay, it's okay, it's okay, and they make it out of that. Guess what they got? They got a friendship that most of us can't dream of touching, that level of friendship with people in our lives. Why? Because most of us, Don't see our life as being about the mission and the purpose of the glory of Jesus being revealed for the joy of humankind. It's because we're not serving one another. We're not being served. We're not serving alongside one another. But when you're on mission, that friendship, now you'll get it. The church is a lot like a trellis in Jesus' vineyard. Remember that first sermon where Jesus says, listen, I'm the vine. I'm the one true vine. You guys are the branches. And my father, he's the vine dresser. He goes around lifting up all the messed up branches, the sick branches, the ones that have fallen off. He picks them up, wipes them off clean, and he weaves them back in. He takes broken branches that are not connected to me, and he, he grafts them into me, and now they're connected to me. And he, but he's weaving them in. He's weaving you guys in together. The church is kind of like a trellis. The Father is the vine dresser. Jesus is the vine itself. We are his branches, and God intends to weave us into and around and into one another's lives on this trellis called the church. We're to be wrapped around each other, supporting and holding one another up, helping to keep one another abiding in Jesus, the true vine. If you know anything about like gardening or plants and trellises and creeping, crawling vine type, plants right like they just they go in and out of that trellis and they're wrapping around other branches just uh, they're entwined and that's a strong plant that's a vibrant healthy plant what's the result of all this listen if you if you're not connected into the community then there's no relationship there's no there's no one around to wash you. there's no one for you to wash you don't have the opportunity no one has the opportunity with you What's the result of all this? Is that serving, number four, serving in community produces joy. Serving in community actually produces joy. The Greek word here, and I don't know Greek. I have Bible study software called Logos, and it translates Greek for me. Okay, just want to make sure I'm telling the truth and not implying that I'm smarter than I am. The Greek word here in this blessed, it's the term makarios, which means happy. Right? happy. It's the same word that Jesus uses in the Beatitudes in his Sermon on the Mount, where he says, Blessed are those, blessed are those, blessed are those. He says, Happy are those, happy are those, happy are those. Listen, when you sin, do you run to other disciples in the church, or do you wait until you are doing better? And then you let people in on what you've been struggling with. Most of the time, this I got better moment either doesn't arrive. Or at least not until there's something, someone else that you can trust that's close enough and they have a good enough idea and and look can look in your life to actually help you, to actually serve you. But it's in community that we do better. Everyone knows that phrase. Like, you don't go to church, you don't clean up to go to God, right? You don't clean the house before the maid shows up, and then we all do it with our with our lives. Right? We won't vulnerably express and give an opportunity to one another to express Jesus's love and mercy and service to us until we've cleaned it up a bit so you don't have to do so much. We're doing it all over the place. We are to confess our sins to others so we can be prayed for and healed. That's that's the book of James. It's the opportunity for service in our church community to occur which then brings joy. Staying in community is staying with Jesus. And happy are those who stay with Jesus. So, so last year, I preached through a sermon series on what, what, we, what we call a, a gospel culture, what that looks like. It, it, it looks like a happy culture. And listen, don't, don't lower the word happy, all right? Don't lower it. And, and, and what I mean here is it, I'm not talking about a flimsy, rose-colored glasses-wearing, fake, too-blessed-to-be-stressed Everything is okay. Go along to get along. Don't say or do anything that would make anyone uncomfortable, awkward or upset. No, that's not that's not the happy I'm talking about. I'm talking a joyful, a joyfully happy culture. And it is so because it's made up of disciples of Jesus who serve in community with and for one another with their lives. It's one where even a sinner, especially a sinner, especially a sinner can rely on these people to be able to expose what has fallen or broken or foolish, poisoned, contaminated, immature. And instead of being ridiculed or condemned or gasped at or excluded or kind of cold-shouldered out or treated like an awkward problem, right? Instead, they receive the same kind of service that the disciples get in John 13. Now, that's a happy... Culture, that's a happy people. That's a happy life where people can show up and go, I have a need and you are God's people. I am one of God's people. Will you help me? It's where disciples of Jesus gather around a sad person, a chronically fearful person, a sick person, a needy person, a failed person, a wretched person, an embarrassing person, an uncomfortable person, and these these disciples of Jesus, they, they get around this person, they get down, they get humble, they get low, and they say this sort of thing. They say, we know. Yeah, we know. We've been there. Some of us are there. No matter what, we're with you. Jesus has washed us clean. He's invited us to his table. He includes us. He teaches us. He accepts us. He heals us. He still wants to bring us alongside of him in what he's doing. He never... Leaves us. He never forsakes us. He's not surprised by any of our mess. He's washed our feet. Will you let us wash your feet? Because it would mean we are obeying Him and it would bring us joy to obey Jesus. Can we wash your feet? Let us bring you to the table we're at. Let us tell you that you're forgiven. Let's tell you and assure you that you can be restored, that you are loved, and that you still have a future if you want it with Jesus. That would create a happy culture. That would create the kind of church, the kind of people that then no one, no one around would like go, hmm, are they really Christians? There'd be no doubt. In that gospel culture series, Series, I, I said something, I don't know if any of you remember it, um, that God has chosen to deploy his love through people. When we want God to love people, God, just show them you love them. He goes, Okay, get up and sacrifice your Saturday morning and go to them. Get up, go to your purse, go to your wallet, go find your checkbook and write the check. Get up, turn the TV show off, you can watch it later, and if not, oh well, and get up and help. Get up, I know you worked all day, I know you're very tired, I will give you all the energy you need and all the bandwidth you need in order to obey me. If you want... Them to know that I love them, I'm sending you. God deploys his love through his people. That's how it gets there. So, in other words, found people, they find people. We got plenty of room, RCC, Restoration City. We got plenty of room. Look around if you haven't already. We have plenty of room for found people. Let's go find them. But that's what that's what found people do is they find people, they bring them in, loved people, loved people, cleaned people, cleaned people, served people, served people. A Question: I finally, in closing, have to. I often find myself having to ask some people who confess that, uh, man, these days I feel like our church or their church or whoever, because I people from time to time talk to me, and, you know, they'll say feel like my church has changed. don't feel warm or close to it anymore. I don't feel like I fit in. I feel like there's clicks, and I feel like this or that. It used to be different, right? And they'll attribute that feeling to a lot of actual, true things that most, of the vast majority of the time are external things. They're external variables. So this is the question I ask them. Hey, uh, would you describe for me the warmest, most joyful, and happy times that you've experienced in your church? The times. Describe the times in which you... You experienced the most depth, the most growth, the most hope, and the most profound sense of fellowship and friendship. The times when you felt the greatest sense of clarity and purpose. Would you describe those times for me? Because I'm willing to bet good money that the one primary thing that all of those times have in common is that you in those times were focused on being with and serving God's people and others. That in those times you weren't focused on or obsessed with your own desires or your own preferences or your own dollars or your own days or your own devotion that you were saying no to more things or most things even really good things and you were saying yes more to the greater thing which is Jesus and his call on us to be his disciples and to serve one another as he has served us. That's the pathway for the joy. That God intends to bring us. Do you know who gets the glory, the highest glory in all the universe? It's the one who's given the most. It's the one who served, the one who gets the most significance and the most honor. is the one who served the most, who sacrificed the most. Philippians 2 says it clearly. There's a reason that his name is above all names. There's a reason we worship him. There's a reason that he is attributed to be the king of the universe. Because he made himself like a slave, like a servant, like a worm. He gave his perfect, holy, eternal life and was spat upon and made fun of and misunderstood and misconstrued and gossiped about and betrayed and murdered torturously to serve his enemies. That's why he's honored. The glory goes to the one who gives It's no problem that you might, like the disciples, want to be great. In fact, I'd say that's a godly desire. It's a godly aspiration. The question is not do I want to be great. The question is do I want to find that greatness and that honor and that dignity in my life? And and who's going to give that to me and and what what path am am I going to travel to get that? Because Jesus goes, there's only one person who can give it to you. And there's only one path. You just follow right behind me. Because the disciple of Jesus can serve can serve God by serving those he loves and do anything because they are assured that there is a moment coming that Jesus has already promised that at the great white throne of judgment the king of the universe, the Messiah is going to lean down from his chair in glory and he's going to say in front of all of the angels and all of the kings on their thrones and all of the martyred prophets and all the saints throughout all of the Bible and all of church history he's going to say it where they can hear it he's going to look you in the eye He's going to say, good job. Well done. He's going to say, I saw you. I saw it all. You trusted that I loved you. You believed that I loved you. You believed in my ways. And you loved me and you obeyed me. Even when it hurt, even when it cost you, and even when it didn't do so well, you kept on trying to obey me and keep kept serving. I saw you love other people the way I loved you. Oh, good job. Enter into the kingdom and all of eternity. Receiving a portion of the inheritance of my glory and my honor I bestowed upon you. That's for us. This is how the world will know that we are disciples. We pray for us. Father, I do ask that you would perform real miraculous work. That you would, you would even begin to cause some of us to question if we're suddenly being foolish or outlandish. If we were to do or embrace or try the things that we know that you are telling each of us to do. In some ways, Lord, I ask that you would scare us, frighten us, not only the daunting things that you set before us to serve in, but that you would scare us and frighten us a little bit with the excitement and the possibility and the vision of what you might declare and do in our lives and the world around us. would give us faith and belief and trust. Show us yourself so we can love you more and more and more and thereby obey you, empowered by your love for us. Let us be disciples who serve just the way you served us. We love you, Lord. It's in the name of Jesus I pray, amen. Love you guys. Well, thank you, Brother Matt. So this is our time to go into communion. So we uh, talk about this every time because it it makes uh, a difference. It makes an impact.